Our passage this morning is Romans 8, verses 5 through 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, my name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors at Sojourn. So thankful that you're with us. Would you join me in a brief word of prayer as we prepare to study and hear from Romans 8, 5 through 11? Father in heaven, as we gather under your word this morning, would you show us the futility of life in the flesh and expose that futility to those who are still walking in it? But to those who are in the spirit, Father, would you please give us assurance that we might know that if Christ is in us, if your spirit indwells us, that we belong to you, that we have life in you, and that we might have hope and a destination to come for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Nothing is what sleeping rocks dream of. That comes from the great theologian Jonathan Edwards. Nothing is what sleeping rocks dream of. We tell our kids to like they can't sleep at night. We're like, well, like you need to stop thinking of those things. Just think of nothing. And they're like, well, what's nothing? Like this is what we tell them, because Jonathan Edwards said it. Uh, nothing. What sleeping rocks dream of? We are not people of nothing. We kind of think that maybe we are. Like my life is lived based on nothing, or that we walk according to nothing, just whatever we want. But we are people who are constantly doing, living, walking, thinking doing everything we are, not for nothing and not because of nothing, but in a direction for something. And what we are doing, what we are living, the things that we are walking out, the things that we are thinking, they, they tell a story about us, and the story isn't about nothing. And, and Paul, what he does here is he says that not only are not people about nothing, that there's two ways that he can divide up humanity. There are those who are in the flesh, and there are those who are in the spirits, which means not only are we not people about nothing, that we are not people of neutrality. There is a direction. There is a thing that we are living for and toward, right? We, we are living, walking beings, right? We are thinking, and we have our minds set on something, and out of who we are, whether we're in the flesh or in the spirit, is going to come the way we live, walk, think. In Romans 8, 5 through 11, Paul speaks of life in the flesh, Versus life in the spirit. There, there are two options here, and they are vastly different, with vastly different consequences for how they live and walk out their lives, and vastly different results. 
Paul writes, Romans 8, we're in the warmth of Romans 8 right now. He writes to his readers to receive assurance. He wants to bring the Christians that are in Rome that he's writing to and his readers assurance that theirs is a life, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And because theirs is a life in the spirit, that they belong to God, they have life in them, and they have a hope for the future. Life in the flesh, he says, is a life of futility. But life in the spirit is a life of belonging, a life of living out of the life that we have within us, and a life of hope. So in verses eight, or chapter 8, verses 4, it kind of introduces this contrast that he's going to move into in verses 5 through 11. The contrast between walking, he says in verse 4, according to the flesh, and walking according to the spirit. It's a contrast that he continues in verse 5 when he says... Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. There are those who walk and live according to the flesh, and there are those who walk and live according to the Spirit. There are two different ways. That's it. There's not a, a, a middle ground. You are either walking and living according to the flesh, or you're walking and living according to the Spirit. And, and these words, according to, are, are nature words. They, they speak to the, the core of who we are, the, the core of our nature. They speak to our very being as people. They speak to who we are as people, as a person. I think it's even further solidified in verse 8 when he speaks of those who are in the flesh. Or he's going to speak of those who are in the spirit as he spoke of those who are in Christ. Those are, those are being words. This is who you are. This is the, the essence and the core of you. And from the, our being, from our nature, guess what's going to come out of that? Verse 4, the walking is going to come out of that being. In verse 5, the, the thinking and the living is going to come out of that being. And it's either going to be according to the flesh or according to the spirit. One lives and walks because they are in the flesh. Or one lives and walks because they are in the spirit. Being in the flesh is described in a few different places in Romans. In chapter 7, verse 5, it says, While we are living in the flesh, here's what living in the flesh is like. Our sinful passions were aroused by the law. They were at work. And they were bringing fruit, bearing fruit to death. That's life in the flesh. The sinful passions are at work. They're dominating. They're in control. And they're bringing forth the fruit of death. Or we can look in chapter 7, verse 18, where Paul says, there's no good thing that dwells in me. That is in my flesh. In his flesh, there's nothing good there. Verse 25 of chapter 7, he says, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Flesh is this human nature under the fall, corrupted by the fall, so that it could be said that this this flesh is controlled by sin. It's controlled by the fall. It's in Adam. And that is true for all of us. That is where we are. We enter into the world in the flesh, under the fall, corrupted in our nature by the fall. That's one way. And, and he says there's another way, verse 5. There are those who live according to the flesh, and there are those who live according to the spirits. The spirit, the same spirit that he spoke of in chapter 8, verse 2, when he says the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The spirit and life according to the spirit, its spirit comes and frees so that one no longer has to walk according to the flesh anymore and under the fall. But we have this, this different way of living now. Verse 4, chapter 8. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk. How? Not according to the flesh. We're freed from that, but now we can walk according to the spirits. So he speaks to the Romans. He says to them, there are those who are either under wrath 
or justified. There are those who are either unbelieving, don't have faith, or who have faith, and their faith unites them to Christ, and they stand in the righteousness of Christ. And here he says, you know, chapter 6, you're either enslaved to sin, you're enslaved to righteousness, you're enslaved to God. Chapter 8, you're either walking in the flesh or you're walking in the spirit. Those are the two ways. There are those who walk and live according to the flesh and those who walk according to the spirit. But there's no mushy middle in between there. There are those two ways and, and that's it. And when the spirit comes along, it, it then frees up a possibility for those who are born in the flesh to then walk according to the spirit. Those who, there are those who walk according to the flesh and walk according to the spirit, nothing in between. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no tension with the Spirit. There's no tension of chapter 7 hasn't been completely erased there. But when the Spirit comes and sets free, there's now a new identity, a new reality, a new way that is opened for the one who has the Spirit. And it's not just available, that the Spirit comes and it sets us free. And that Spirit that sets free is also the Spirit that enables walking, verse 4, living, verse 5. It enables us to move that direction. This includes the freedom and the empowerment of what verse 5 talks about, this new kind of mindset, the new way of thinking. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I love that Paul, he just comes along here, and he just states it as fact. This is just true of people. Because he knows that out of who we are, out of our nature, out of our being, is going to come how we live, how we walk, how we think, the thing that our mind is set on. And with this string of words of walking, living, thinking, we, we need to know that when he says you're going to set your mind on something, it, setting our mind on something is more than just thinking about reason. I mean, it includes a lot more than just our physical brain thinking. It, it includes some thought, some feeling, some purpose, some will, some direction. It's to have your mind focused on something, interested on something, purposed toward something. And he says, if you live according to the flesh, what you're going to set your mind on? What you're going to be purposed toward are, are things of the flesh. You're going to be focused on things of the flesh. Another way I think he could say this is, is that you're going to have your mind set on not the creator, but the created things. It's a mindset that when there's nothing else to think about, when you don't have a particular thing to set your mind on, it is purposed toward Things of the flesh, things that are created, the things here below, the things that we can see and touch, that, that our thoughts and our feelings and our affection are going to move toward those things when we have nothing else to think about. It's a mindset that, in other words, is most captured by the flesh, most captivated by the things of this world. Its attention and affection are captured by the things that we could say are not just of the world, sinful, fallen, fleshly things. Perhaps they're chapter 1 type things. You remember the list of chapter 1? When God comes in, Paul says, God has revealed his wrath against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of, of men. This Things under the fall, the flesh. Maybe it's chapter 1 things that your mind is set on. Sexual immorality, envy, murder, taking out another person for your own good, strife. You're thinking about contention or gossip, how you can uh, talk about someone behind their back. Thoughts that are against God or toward self. He says you're, you're boastful, you're faithless, you're heartless, there's self-righteous thoughts, thoughts of only maintaining some sort of outward appearance, an outward appearing of righteousness. Paul says those are the kinds of things that your mind can be set on. Those are flesh things. And those who live according to flesh are going to set their minds on such 
things, and he just states it as fact. If you're living according to flesh, this is what your mind is set on. So whoever that describes, that your mind is set on those things, is one who lives according to the flesh. In other words, Paul doesn't say, like, this is in debate. It's just the reality. If your mind is set on the things of the flesh, you are living according to the flesh. It's not up in the air. It's not in doubt. It's just true. Now, this mindset is contrasted with a mindset, not on the flesh in verse 5, but in the Spirit. Those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Well, your mind, if it's set on the things of the Spirit, what would it be set on? Well, in chapter 1, verse 4, this is the Spirit of holiness, so it would be set on holy things. Chapter 5, verse 5, says hope has been poured into our hearts by the Spirit, so it's set on things of hope. Chapter 8, verse 4, says that we can walk according to the Spirit, and in this walking according to the Spirit, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us, so it's set on law-keeping things, things that bring pleasure and honor to God, His commands, and walking in His commands. It's thinking on life with God, how we can honor God. And so here's the thought. If you want to know if you're in the flesh, and walking in the flesh, and living in the flesh, and thinking and mind set on things of the flesh or not, one way is to look at what your mind is set on. What is capturing your heart? What is capturing your attention? What is capturing your affection? What is your life purpose toward? What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? Are those things of the flesh or things of the spirit? Because those are flowing from who you are, whether you're in the flesh or in the spirit. From your being and your nature are going to flow. You're living, you're walking, you're thinking. So where do your thoughts go when you have nothing to think about particularly? What most captures your attention and your affection? What is your life purpose toward? What is it set on? What, what captures it? The answers are going to tell you if they're honest, whether you're walking and living according to the flesh or you're walking and living according to the spirit. And I want to caution us here to look carefully. You think about Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus in the night and he says, like, we know that you're from God. And he only says, like, hey, yeah, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And where does he go? Where does he, where does he go with that? He says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Where's his mind? What's his mind set on? And here's a man who knows the law. Here's a man who has kind of external righteousness, and the world would approve of his external righteousness. Say, if there's a man of God, he'd probably be one of them. And he says, after Jesus says, you have to be born again, he's like, I'm kind of old. You, that doesn't work that way. How can a man be born when he's old? His mind's set on the flesh. Or you can think of Peter. Just after confessing, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. Jesus tells him, yeah, and I'm going to die. He says, no way. Why? His mind is not set on the Spirit that has a concept and a place for a crucified and risen Messiah. His mind is set on the earth where there's no concept of some sort of Messiah that would ever be crucified. His mind is set on the flesh. What the mind is set on comes from who we are and where we are, whether we're in the flesh or in the spirit. Be careful when we're thinking about this. And what the mind is set on is important because Paul goes on to say in verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is death. That is separated from God, alienated from God. 
Yet like Adam and Eve in the garden, they, they were created good, they're walking around this good garden, they have relationship, God created this place for them to have communion and fellowship with God, and then they disobeyed God, and what happens when God comes into that place that he had created for them to walk with him in? They hide in that place. That's death. Right? Physical death hadn't come yet, but God said, if you eat of this tree, you're going to experience death. And there it is. They're starting to experience right there when they start to run and hide from God, when he's looking for them in the garden that he created for them to know him in. Death. And the mindset in the flesh is death. It runs and hides from God. That death led to their exile. They had to be moved out of the garden. So in other words, it went from death to death. That's the mindset in the flesh. That's the picture that we get here. The, the mindset of the flesh is death. How different and contrasted with the mindset of the spirit. What, what does it receive? What are the results of the mindset of the spirit? Life and peace. So opposite, right? Those are, those are relational words, life and peace. Here we have life with God because we can know Jesus Christ. Right? John, in John 17.3, he says, like, Jesus is praying. He, he writes this, records this great prayer for us. That this is life that they may know me. That's life. And peace, relational peace. There's life where there was only death before because the Spirit came and saw some dead bones and breathed life into them. And, and now there's, there's relationship with God where there wasn't anymore, where we were running and hiding. Now we want to come near. There's also peace because what, the peace has come because we've been made right in the sight of God because of the work of Jesus. That's Romans 5.1. We've been justified. We've been reconciled. Though we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And so now there's peace, relationally speaking, between us and God now. How different... From the mindset in the flesh that leads to death. This one leads to life and peace. So much so that we can say now, chapter 6, verse 4, that we can walk in newness of life. That life is active and present now. Or in verse 11 of chapter 6. So you need to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the mind that's set on the Spirit is, is a mind that's going to result in life and peace. Life unto life. As the relationship with God has now been restored. In chapter 6, verse 22, he says, Now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no more running from God. Hiding from fellowship with him, is running to God, drawing near to God. Because the enmity that he had toward us, whether we knew it or not, has now been dropped. It's been done away with in his son, Jesus. That's not the case in the flesh. Look at verse 7. The mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. Hostile. Now, one time when we lived in Kentucky, uh, one of my friends had an extra ticket to a Monday night football game in Cincinnati. It was about an hour and a half or so away from where we lived. And so I got a chance to get in the car and drive up to Cincinnati to watch Monday night football. And I don't care about Cincinnati, the Bengals, at all. I don't even care about NFL all that much. They were playing, it was Cincinnati, they were playing the Bengals. And I was just like, sure, Monday night football, don't get this opportunity very much, I will do it. Now, he and his friends were big Bengals fans, grew up in the area, loved the Bengals, 
And they didn't require, because I didn't have any Bengals gear, they didn't require me to wear any Bengals gear. But what they did want to ensure was that I didn't wear any Pittsburgh Steeler gear, right? They, like, we don't care if you're not for us, just don't be for them, right? So just be neutral. So that's where I was like, oh, I will be neutral. I will wear whatever shirt is the most neutral between those two teams and colors. And, and I think that spiritually we think that we can do that. That we think that, all right, good team's playing and the bad team's playing, but we're just going to put on the neutral shirt and kind of be outside of that. Or actually, probably more likely in our day is that we think, actually, good teams and bad teams are playing, but I'm going to suit up as the ref and I'm going to make the call. Because I'm not in and on either side, and I'll make the decision. Well, Romans is really, really clear that there is no one who is born in some sort of spiritual neutral zone. No one could just watch the game as a neutral observer of good and bad. No one could come in and put on the ref suit and say, like, hey, I'm going to decide what's good and bad here. No one has that. Those who live in the flesh, who are in the flesh, who walk according to the flesh, who set their minds on the things of the flesh, are what to God? Hostile to God. Not neutral. The, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. Not, well, I'm not really for God, but I'm definitely not against God. Hostile to God is what he says here. And I think that in church places, there often seems to be this gospel of neutrality. That one is basically good with God as long as you're just not really against him. So you don't have to be kind of positively good. You just don't want to be like positively bad. It's a gospel I think that I've heard. We're all kind of okay with God. Just don't do a few of these really atrocious things, and we're good. And in those, this gospel of neutrality, most are going to agree in church cultures, there's some agreement on the things that are really actually hostile to God. And there are some of those things, but we just don't take part of them. Right? We look at chapter 1 of Romans, right? There's some hostile to God things. We don't like sexual immorality. Throw homosexuality in on top of that. Those things are hostile to God for sure, right? Idolatry, based idolatry, where we're worshiping created Things and images, of course we know those things are hostile to God. But the other things that are listed are maybe a little bit more neutral. Disobedient to parents? Like respecting the authority structures that God has put in place for us? Being haughty? Like proud? Boastful? How about faithlessness? Is that, is that on our list of hostile to God things? Heartless? These are all listed in Romans 1, but those don't receive any sort of confrontation from the community or any sort of community concern because those are the things that don't seem to be quite as hostile to God. They're more in the spiritual neutral zone. And this is present maybe in the pulpit, hopefully not. It's acceptable in the community, you can tell. What, what are we speaking the truth and love to and what are we not speaking the truth and love to? I've heard it a million times, not a million times, that's exaggeration, right? I've heard it at way too many funerals. Where here we have a time of life and death, and we're thinking on how can we make sure that we assure everybody that everything's okay all the time. And we do need to be sensitive in moments of grief and death. But the way to love well is to love well with the true gospel. And this gospel of neutrality, that we're just all kind of all okay with God as long as we're not giving ourselves to those hostile things to God, that we're all kind of in a spiritual neutral zone, flies in the face of the true gospel, certainly opposes the book of Romans, and the law of God exposes it as completely false. 
Look at verse 7. The, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It does not submit to God's law. God's law comes in and it does what it always does, and it reveals sinful flesh in each. The law reveals, here's what God is like. It shows forth his righteousness. It shows what he wants from his people. It shows his good commands. It shows what he loves and what he delights in from the people that he created. And here's what he says of those in the flesh. Again, they're not neutral. They don't submit to it. Whether that's disobedient to parents or walking in sexual immorality. Whether that's being faithless or heartless or being a gossip or any other base idolatry that we want to add there, all of those are listed as things that the law would reveal as sin. And those who walk in the flesh and live in the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, and they are hostile to God, and they are not submitting to God's law. Indeed, they cannot, he says. Now, here's what I do think is happening. They are doing what they most want to do. They're doing what they most desire, what they're most captured by. We're always doing that. But here are those, the reality of those who are in the flesh are most captured by the things of the flesh. That's what they set their minds on. That's what they live for. That's what they're walking according to. And without realizing it, what they're doing is they're, they're getting what they most want, but they're actually slaves under sin. And not only do they not submit to God's law, Paul says that they cannot. They cannot. The law, Paul has already said, he's justified the law, right? The law is holy, righteous, it's good. There's, there's no problem with the law here. So it's not as if, oh man, this mean old law comes along, and that's the problem, right? Paul took out that issue in Romans 6 and 7, didn't he? That the law is holy and righteous and good. The problem doesn't lie within the law. It lies within us, Amen. sinful humans. The law is holy and righteous and good, but what the law can't do is it can't change that nature can't change someone from walking and living according to the flesh to one who is walking and living according to the Spirit. Paul says, again, chapter 7, verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, and the law will never come in and give that ability. doesn't do it. wasn't intended for it. So what we're seeing as we look at life in the flesh is we're looking at a life of futility. It's not a life of freedom. That's what we think. That's what the world would celebrate. This is the life of freedom. Forget God's law. If I'm just free from God's law or any kind of law for that matter, that's the life of freedom. That's not the life of freedom. It's a life of slavery. Slavery to sin. Indeed, Paul says, those who are in the flesh, verse 8, cannot please God. This, these cannots here are, are not about physical ability. They're not about effort. Right? Paul gave it his best effort before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, didn't he? So it's, it's not about physical ability, and it's not about effort. It's about moral inability. There, there's a real cannot of fallen sinful humans. And it's that flesh, the flesh that Paul talks about here, that even when Paul wanted to do what was right, meant evil. Kept him in this place where he couldn't do fully what he wanted to do, so that he came to the end of himself, chapter 7, verse 24, and said, Wretched man that I am. Life in the flesh is a life that leads to that. Verse 24 of chapter 7, and just the first part, it only leads to this conclusion, Wretched man that I am. 
don't buy into some sort of gospel of neutrality. That somehow you, out of all the people in the world, have been placed in and born into some sort of spiritual neutral zone where you're just kind of okay with God as long as you don't do anything really hostile and evil towards God. and Just stay within the, the kind of culturally acceptable neutral zone and it'll be okay with God and we'll preach your funeral at the end. We'll make sure all your family knows that you're okay with God. Don't buy into a gospel like that. If you're in the flesh, here's what Paul says, verse 8, you cannot please God. Cannot. There's futility of life in the flesh. It's a real cannot. It's why this deliverer that Paul speaks of in verse 24 is such a big deal. Wretched man that I am, who, who, it's a who, will deliver me from this body of death. That's why there's a deliverer needed is because verses 7 and 8, there's real cannots for those who are in the flesh. We need a deliverer. We need a savior. Now, Paul doesn't stop with this describing life in the flesh. He moves to sharply contrast life in the flesh with life in the spirit. And I think he moves from, here's some description of life in the flesh, to my main point I want to talk about, what I want to affirm for you, what I want to bring assurance to you about, is life in the spirit. So look in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Like now we're, we've moved back, okay, we, we had to talk about life in the flesh because it's there, but now we've moved back into the warmth of the sun of, of Romans chapter 8. Here's life in the spirit. And, and the contrast, you, however, that he brings in here is meant to impart to his audience, to his readers, assurance. This is a great you, however. It's meant to really stand out and jump off the page after what he said about life in the flesh. He says, your state, however, that's, that's not you. You're not those who, who cannot please God. You're not those who are, have this futile thinking that's only going to be from death to death. That's not you. You, however, are in the Spirit. That's their state. Notice how he says it. You're in the Spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You're in the Spirit, and the Spirit's in you. They're, they're both true of Christians. He's going to say later that the Spirit is the Spirit of the, the Son. It's the Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit of God. We're talking about the same Spirit. He's going to say in verse 10 that Christ is in you. Now, all the language he uses to say of Christians that what is present in them is the very presence of the Trinity, the triune God, is present in believers. It indwells them. And this is true of all Christians. It's okay to say, but definitely redundant to say, that you're a Christian with the Spirit. Or a Christian who has the Spirit. Because to be a Christian is to have the Spirit. There is no other kind of Christian. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. Like there's, there, That's what a Christian is. One who has the very presence of God dwelling in them. But notice how Paul doesn't assume it. He, he says, if, here. I think he's trying to affirm for his audience. These Roman Christians... This is true of you, but he doesn't assume it, and he gives this if, which is an invitation to kind of like consider. Like, I, I think I'm writing to people who this is true of, but just consider if, if this is true of you, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Go back up and think, what's my living like? What's my walking like? What's my mind set on? Look, look through those things, and this will tell who I am, whether I'm in the flesh or I'm in the Spirit. And, what one is in is how they're going to live and walk and think because out of our being is going to come our doing, our thinking, our living, our, our purposing, our 
loves, our desires, are all going to come out of who we are. And there's all the difference in the world between being in the flesh and being in the spirit. Life and death are in the difference. Being able to please God and not being able to please God are in the difference. And Paul goes on to say in verse 9, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Those who don't have the spirit in them, indwelling them, are not Christians. And here's what he says of them. They do not belong to God. They belong to the flesh. They're still under the reign of sin and death. But again, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, here's what we know, that those who don't have it don't belong to him. So what about those who do have the spirit? I think what's implied here is that they do belong to God. I have this smell that I will, I will never forget from growing up on the farm. You might know it if you have been around it, but it's the smell of the branding iron. Has anybody ever branded livestock of some sort? I did cattle, all right? There's that burnt hair smell that is it's never going to go away. It's burned into my memory. And we did that because you put a brand on the side of some cattle, to, to say that this thing, this animal belongs to whatever is connected to the brand, right? It's telling belonging. It's a seal of saying, this is ours, right? So if it gets out, and they will, like, just give us a call. And Paul describes the spirit as like that, as a seal, right? A, a brand. It says, the spirit dwelling in it, it, it says, this one belongs to something. Someone. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 says, God has put his seal on us and given us his spirit as a guarantee. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And what that seal is saying is that this one belongs to God. God, he, he takes up, we're the livestock, like we're the sheep. He takes up the lost sheep. He brings that lost sheep into his fold. And he brings it, he seals it, not by, you know, stinging them with something hot, but like giving them his very presence to dwell within them. And that marks them as those who are belonging to God. They have God's very presence within them. God, the God who dwells in heaven, and the heaven of heavens can't even contain him, dwells in the midst of his people. And the Spirit marks those who belong to him. Christian, you belong to God. Not to the flesh, not to sin, not to death. Christian, you belong to God. You didn't earn it. You didn't achieve it. You didn't work your way into it. You didn't perform enough for him to finally say, finally, I'll give you my spirit. I'll dwell in you now. It was given to you. You received it or it's not there. Because we belong to God now, there's, there's no pressure to find your place in the world anymore. Because you have a place with God. There's no pressure anymore. All of us, every person created, seeks for belonging. They seek to find their footing in this world. And finding our belonging and footing in this world can be really tricky, right? Maybe it just feels like this now, but we're in tricky times where it's like, you can have some sense of belonging with a group of people, but if you're not that thing that they are enough, then all of a sudden you're not with them. Right? So you kind of like, hey, I agree with you, but you don't agree enough with us. 
So now you don't have belonging there, right? That's all over the place. It's hard. It's complex to find our actual belonging here. It's hard to fully belong. But listen to what he has said for those who are in Christ. In Christ, you're justified. Made right in the very sight of God. In Christ, you have peace with God. Because you've been justified, chapter 5, verse 1, you have peace with God. In Christ, chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation for you. And if you have the very spirit of Christ, to have the very spirit in you, he says that you belong to him. And that's all the belonging that you will ever need for all eternity. You may not find your belonging in this world. We actually, as Christians, don't expect to. We belong to another. We belong to God. And we in him have all the belonging we need. And this belonging is displayed in a life of those who have Christ in them. And so our belonging is going to be worked out. Again, from our being, who we are, if we are in the Spirit, is going to come out in how we live. Look in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Again, this if is an invitation to think on this. It's worth questioning if this is true of us. Is it true of us? And he says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... Chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Sin came to the world through one man, and death spread, and death spread to all men because all sin. In chapter 6, verse 23, we're reminded that the wage of sin is death. Death is the wages for sinners. Christian, you are going to die should the Lord not come and take you to be with himself. Right? The reality is for us is that we're, we're moving towards death. But not an eternal death. The body is going to die, right? The wages of that sin is still upon us. Like, that's still part of us that's in Adam, that's moving toward the grave. That will happen, but that's not going to be eternally true of us or even our bodies. He says, verse 10, Christ is in you, although the body's dead because of sin. There's, there's more to the story. The spirit is life because of righteousness. I love how one theologian has put it, that death has not yet been abolished, but it has been stripped of its power. So that right now, there's a boast for Christians. Where's your sting, death? Where's your victory? That's a weird thing to boast when you're actually going to the grave. And Paul is saying that, and he's going to his grave, right? He's going to die. But he knows it's, it's been abolished. It's, not been, it's been fully stripped of its power, but it's not yet been fully abolished. And so he knows, I, I'm going to my grave, sure, but that death has no victory over me. Not eternally. It's lost its sting in that way because, because we're in Christ now. We have the Spirit living in us, the Spirit of righteousness. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. There's a new power at work now. Paul said it in chapter 8, verse 2. He says, the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The, the Spirit is setting free, and, and it's connected there to Christ's work. Christ is the one whom God put forward, chapter 3, verse 25, as our propitiation. Christ is the one who, chapter 4, verse 25, he was delivered over for our sins and was raised up for our justification. So that now, in Christ, we have the righteousness of God. We are, have right standing with God through the work of Jesus. And the Spirit comes and is, is setting us free to walk in that righteousness. It is making that righteousness reality for us. And it is coming to dwell within us so that there's a new power at work in us, setting us free. Christ, and being in Christ, or being in the Spirit, 
both of those are related here, reveals that there's more at work in us than just death. That there's more to our story than death to death. And there's life because we're standing in righteousness. This is life where it's new so that where we were, those dry bones, the Spirit comes and breathes life so that now there's, there's movement and there's walking. We can walk in newness of life. Chapter 6, verse 4. Now this life that's in us is a life that's a life of law-keeping. Chapter 8, verse 4. We can walk out the very commandments from God by the power of the Spirit that dwells within us. It's life that's Jesus-following kind of life. That's in us now. So Christian, the, the outer self, your outer self, as Paul would call it, may be wasting away. Indeed, I can say for all of us here, you might be getting stronger, but no sense should you get the understanding that your outer self is not wasting away. You're closer to death than you've ever been right now. Right? And as we keep talking, like we're getting even closer, like your outer self is wasting away, that is true of you, but also at the same time, at the same time, the inner self is being renewed. Hopefully that's happening right now too, by the power of the Spirit within you. Like outwardly, yeah, you're, you're moving towards death, but inwardly you can also be renewed because the Spirit of life is in you. Those in the flesh... They, they have an outer self that is wasting away and an inner self that's moving toward death as well. They're moving from death to death. There's futility in that. Christian, death is coming for you. Death spread to all men, chapter 5, 12 says, because all sinned. It is coming for us. That's true for us, but that's only part of the reality. It's only part because in Christ, Something new is at work. He says in chapter 5, verse 17, Because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. For those in the Spirit, they belong to God. They have life working in them where there was only death before and it gets even better in that the spirit does what he says in verse 11 it gives us hope verse 11 if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you again and if if consider think on these things if but if but if this is true of you then you can get the rest of chapter, or verse 11 here, you, you get the rest of that. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your immortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I love it. If, if Christ has not been raised, then all of this is a waste. Go play golf, go do your Sunday thing if Christ has not been raised, right? Like it, Faith is futile, Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you're going to die. But if Christ has been raised, then the gospel is of the utmost importance. Then the gospel actually can be this gospel that is the power of God unto salvation, real salvation, final and full salvation, and we can receive it. If Christ has been raised, then the gospel is of first importance, and the Spirit indwelling us is actually life. And guess what? The Spirit is already on record for having raised a dead man, Jesus Christ, from the grave. So when he looks to your dead body, I think he can handle it. He's on record as having raised 
from the dead. So it's clear he can repeat this process again. The power is not lacking within the Godhead. And that's what Paul says will happen. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he who raised Jesus from the dead, who also dwells in you, will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If he dwells in you, then he's going to give life to you. Again, the spirit here is this deposit, this guarantee of what's going to happen. If the spirit is in you, you can be assured that you are moving toward your death, but it won't last very long because you're going to be eternally raised. Or raised and then alive for eternity. That's what Paul says will happen. That though this life is leading to death, that death is going to give way. And the Spirit testifies that Christians can have the sure and firm and final hope that the power that raised Jesus indwells them so that they have a destination as well. The destination is his destination. It's to be with him forever. We have hope. Christian, by the presence of the Spirit in you, you can know these things. You can know that you belong to God. Because you have the Spirit in you, you belong to God. You can know that you have life working in you, life that can help you walk, life can help you live, that you can set your mind, not on the things of the flesh, but the things of the Spirit now. You can know that you have a sure and final hope, that you have a destination that's the same as Christ Jesus. Now, here's what we can say of all Christians in here. Like, Christian, we don't know what the future holds for you. We have no idea what's in front of you, except that one day your body is going to come out of the ground and be with God forever. That's your future. Like, in between time, I have no idea. We might be those who are led to the slaughter. Romans 8 is going to talk about that. It's like, it seems like we're just being killed all the day long. But he will say, you're more than conquerors because the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. There's your future right there. Doesn't that give you sure footing to walk in this unsteady place here? We know the destination. We know there will be a hole in the ground one day from where we used to be buried. And that future destination gives hope now as that future stretches all the way back into how we walk, live, and think right now. That's by the power of the Spirit that indwells in us. The Spirit empowers us to walk, live, think in accordance with our future destination. So we gather as those who are not neutral. There's no neutrality. Our life is not based on nothing. We're not living for nothing. We're not moving towards nothing. We're either in the flesh or we're in the spirit. And in the spirit, by the spirit dwelling in us, we are those who belong. We are those who have life. We are those who have a destination. We are those who have hope. And that means that we should preach that gospel to ourselves. I, I love how one pastor said it. That the Christian man should remind himself every morning as he wakes up. Here's what you get to say. Here's what is actually true of you because you're in the spirit. I'm a child of God. You belong. You're his. I'm a unique person. I'm not like everybody else. I belong to the family of God. Christ has died for me and has translated me from the kingdom of darkness into the, his own kingdom. I am going to heaven. I am destined for that. But I am passing through this world. I know it's temptations trials. And I know the subtle insinuations of Satan, but I do not belong to him. I am a pilgrim and a stranger, and I'm one who is following Christ along this road. Christian, that's true of you. Let's pronounce that together. 
One of the ways that we say that together is through the Lord's Supper. We're saying, not that we've arrived, but that we're still pilgrims. There's still the tension out there, but now we've been set free by the Spirit that dwells in us. And we can say, I belong not to this world anymore, to the flesh. I belong to God. I am His Son. I now am following Christ along this road as a pilgrim passing through, and my destination is sure. That's true of you. If you have the Spirit in you, if, come and take this meal. Proclaim that. Be reminded of it. Take this meal in faith, that this is what is true of you. Paul just states this fact. He's not trying to argue us into it. He's just saying, this is true of you if you have the Spirit. This is you. And we should take this meal, and we're reminded, we didn't accomplish this. We received it by the work of Jesus. That's what this meal is. You're reminded of Jesus' work, how he lived and died a sacrificial death so that we could have a part with him forever. And we're taking this meal, reminding ourselves that he's coming back. And that he's going to pull us up out of the ground and take us to be with him forever. If that's you, come take this meal in faith. If that's not you, we need to say, and we put before you that, that there is one who was delivered up for trespasses, raised for justification, and you can be found in him by your faith in him. Don't take the meal. Take, take him instead. Let's pray together.